I want to make an admission before y'all today. I am not a basketball fan. Now, I know some of y'all are shocked because I'm clearly six foot five and have, why are y'all laughing? Uh, I, I just have never really gotten into the NBA. I love college basketball, but I mean, I didn't really play well as a student in basketball. I was one of the kids that would watch where I dribbled and would hit myself in the nose on my own dribble. I, I just have never really loved it. But I do love something in particular. I love watching inside the NBA. It has a, a guy named Ernie Johnson, Shaquille O'Neal's there, Charles Barkley, Kenny the Jet. Um, they sit around, they talk everything in the world, sometimes not even about basketball. It's hilarious to watch, it's fun to watch, and I enjoy it, even though what they talk about I could care less about. Um, I guess it was about two years ago, um, I had a chance to uh, go with our staff to the Orange Conference in Atlanta. They went into their stuff, and I got to go to this uh, thing called Rethink Leadership. Uh, got to sit at, this, at the table as great pastors spoke into me and kind of encouraged me in my leadership. And we got to sit at this church called Twelve Stone. Twelve Stone um, was a, a cool environment to be in. Their pastor spoke. He was great. And since that day, um, man, we have just shared emails and um, just kind of really got to know their staff. And they're a great group of people. Well, two years ago when I came home, they started a series at their church called Unscripted. I watched and was blown away by what I saw. And then I picked up a book from that series by Ernie Johnson Jr. called Unscripted and read his life story. And I was equally just blown away by the testimony of somebody that I admired but didn't know. And so today, I, I want you all to know a couple of things to begin with. Number one, uh, here in a minute, you're going to see some videos um, from that series and in particular from Ernie Johnson. Um, we as a church reached out to 12 Stone and asked permission to show those because we not only do live here in the sanctuary, but we broadcast around Amarillo and we also put it online. So we sent asking permission to do so and I didn't hear much back for about two to three weeks. But here's what I figured out. 12 Stone reached out to Ernie Johnson, to TNT, to the group there at Inside the NBA, and they got permissions from everybody so that our church could not only show it on Sunday, but broadcast it out to everybody at home. So before we begin, I want to say, because I know they're going to watch, uh, just a thank you to 12 Stone and their staff, Ernie Johnson, TNT, and everybody else for allowing us to do this and show it to everybody around us. So each week when we get together, we're going to see just a piece of his testimony, and then we're going to spend some time in Scripture. So turn your attention to the screen, and let's hear from Ernie Johnson this morning. Why would you see. blame me for that? <laughs> we man. don't even here first, How am I going to reach over there and tie that around your leg while you're sitting there? Good job, Ernie. Get out of here, man. That's crazy. Wow. Anyway, Can what were you Jake? saying? You you know, anybody who's watched our show knows we don't stick to basketball. <laughs> you know, we talk about, yeah, we talk about the game. When the game is bad, sometimes we talk about anything but the game. So we talk race on that show. We talk politics on that show. Um, and, you know, it's whatever, sometimes you can just look at it and say, what's the world talking about right now? Uh, well, we're probably going to weigh in on that too. 
My friends who know the story of our family have always said, man, you ought to write a book. When are you going to do that? And, and I had that in the back of my mind for a long time, but just didn't think it was time because we've got a lot of layers in our family from adoption to caring for a special needs child to a cancer episode to how I came to faith at a late age, uh, relatively. Who I am was what I do. I mean, I had become, I'm this sportscaster. And I would tell folks, oh no, I'm a husband and father first and, and a sportscaster. My job defined who I was. Uh, my job dictated how I treated people. At one time in particular, when I'm working local TV and, and a producer mistimed the show, and so as the weekend sportscaster, I'm used to getting six and a half, seven minutes, and it was down to like two minutes, and it's the last segment of the, of the news. I came out after that newscast, and the producer came out of her chair and met me in the, you know, at the door to the control room, very apologetic. I am so sorry that I did that. I heard none of it. I just let her have it verbally in combinations that, that, uh, sailors were envious of. I mean, it was horrible. And I did, I did this in front of, you know, 10 other people on the crew. And I walked back to my office, proud of myself. I defended my turf. That'll never happen again. And really, it wasn't until I, that we hit the doors of the church and talked about who's the provider and what are you after, that it wasn't about my happiness I was after. It wasn't about what's the next thing I'll buy to make me happy. It was, it was all about, so what's my purpose? And is there a plan bigger than my own? Is there something bigger than my script? You know, so, you know Cheryl and I go through like 15 years of married life and it's 1997 and and we're kind of saying you know a lot of the kids friends go to church and they're always asking Eric and Maggie why don't you guys go to church and they didn't have an answer um, and we said well let's 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 explore a little bit we've been driving past this this place uh, with this blue roof um, called Crossroads on Collins Hill Road. So Cheryl's like, why don't you swing by there and see if there's some information about it? I'm like, cool. So I did. And so I take, I take all this information back, and I said, it looks, it looks pretty good. I, and one of the things is that we needed child care for Michael because, you know, he's a special needs kid, and... <laughs> <laughs> so Cheryl reads all this, and and uh, she said, "This looks great, but I mean, I wish they didn't mention Jesus so much in this pamphlet." <laughs> and I, because I know, look, I told you we were kind of you couldn't find it any couple more, you know, really kind of further from God in that portion of our life. And I said, "Well, let's." Let's give it a shot anyway, we'll see. 
and um, that changed everything. Um, you know, it was unlike any church we'd ever been to. You know, they got guitars on the up front, and they've. You know, it's a kind of a little place. It's you know, a little over a hundred and hundred hundred and fifty maybe in there. But their words are on the screen, and the band is playing, and folks are clapping, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to get the beat, and then the first two messages, those first two Sundays, PK is talking about um, what are you pursuing and who's your provider? What are you pursuing, happiness or wholeness? You know, my answers to the two questions was, I'm the provider and happiness, obviously. And, and so I was over two. And the more he explained, I found that um, I was all in. I wanted the next step. I told him, I said, is there a time you and I can sit down have lunch, do something. I said, because God is messing with me. And he said, sure, let's, let's, let's sit down and have lunch. And so on December 10th, 1997, he and I have um, lunch at an O'Charlie's in Lawrenceville, Georgia. And, and he said, so what do you believe and where are you? And, and we talk and he said, you know what, you're a, you're a prayer away from changing your life. And we sat there and joined hands at this table at O'Charlie's, and, and and I prayed to accept Jesus Christ, and and uh, you know we're sitting there with our hands joined, and, and the you know the server comes up and says, "Hey, do you want some more sweet tea?" And I was like, "I'm good," and I was good. December tenth, nineteen ninety-seven, new birthday. I think if we were being really honest, I think we can find ourselves inside of Ernie's story. Wanderers who had kind of heard all the stuff and had, had tried to play the game, but have never made a moment, a, a shift in our thinking, a shift in our hearts towards God. You know, there's a moment in Scripture, right in the middle of it, is perhaps the greatest known Scripture of all time. But John chapter 3 is an Ernie Johnson kind of story. Before we get into it, I, I want you to hear just a little bit of who our characters might be. First is this, we, we get a guy named Nicodemus who's a, a Pharisee. I mean, it doesn't get any better than Nicodemus in his town. I mean, you want to know who makes the rules, who holds the keys to the kingdom of God? It's the Pharisees. These guys had it put together. They were the guys that when they walked into the room, everybody went, oh, it's, it's Nicodemus. See, prior to John chapter 3, Nicodemus had had to have heard at least of Jesus, if not heard from Jesus. 
And in this passage, something crazy takes place. John chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. That is a powerful start to a story, isn't it? This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God. For no one can perform these signs you do unless God were with him. And Jesus replied, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can he be born when he's an old, Nicodemus asked. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. And whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everything born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Nicodemus asked. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we've seen, but you don't accept our testimony. If I had told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descends from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life for God loved the world in this way he gave his one and only son that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life for God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him anyone who believes in him is not condemned but everyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of God this is the judgment the light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does what's evil hates the light and avoids it, so, this, so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. Amen. Nicodemus has a crazy moment, and really Jesus is giving Nicodemus the same two questions that Pastor Kevin preached those first two messages to Ernie and his family. What are you pursuing and who's the provider? What are you pursuing and who's the provider? Because I want to walk you through exactly what's happening with Nicodemus and Jesus in this moment. The first is this. Humility always precedes a spiritual life-changing moment. Nicodemus had to come to Jesus for this moment to happen. But when did he come? He came at night. He could be veiled at night. He could make his way through the crowds at night without being seen. You know what Nicodemus wouldn't have done prior to John chapter 3? Come to Jesus at the daytime with this same question. He would not have said in pure daylight the things he says of Jesus. Because Nicodemus acknowledges three key traits of Jesus in this passage. Let's look at him. First, he says, rabbi or teacher. He says, listen, you're a teacher and a rabbi, which is crazy. 
absolutely insane for a Pharisee to call anybody a teacher or a rabbi, especially somebody that his group of people believes is a crazy man, that he's blasphemous. Why would he come to him with rabbi and teacher unless he saw something in Jesus that he didn't have? The second thing we see is he's come from God. He says that. Listen, we, we believe that not only are you a good teacher, but you've come from God. This is another insane moment. How would you have been known to come from God unless you were from within them? So two things are out of course here for Nicodemus to say, and here's the third. Not only are you a good teacher, not only have you come from God, but your signs were different. Your signs were different. There's something about you that's different than anybody else we've ever seen before. Jesus, I, I want you to hear this from me. I think you're worthy to teach something. Not only that, I really believe you have something about you that says you came from God. Not only that, but man, even what you do is different. So tell me something. What's so different about you than me? We don't know what Nicodemus's true motive was at that night, at that time. I mean, we're not given that in the text of maybe he was coming to see if he could get some extra something or if he was super inquisitive or if he had been changed somehow. I believe the third. Now, this is Corinthians interpretation, so I want you to hear this. I really believe Nicodemus showed up that night because he saw something in Jesus that he did not possess and that he went, hmm, I think he's got it. But he sure couldn't have shut up at daytime, and Jesus exposes even that. So let's look at it. Jesus does something in Nicodemus' life. He challenges, and he still does it with us, challenges our normal in exchange for eternal. Listen to what he says. He goes right into a, a, a quandary of a question. He says to him, you know what you need to be born again. This is so unfamiliar it's uncharted in, in its questioning. And so even Nicodemus has to ask the question that we would ask. This sounds odd, Jesus. You're saying that I need to go back in my mother's womb. I'm an old man. That's, that's odd. It's odd to us, right? Born again? Let's take off of our, our, our you know, churchy hats for a second and let that question kind of fill the room. Born again? Weird. What does it mean? And even Nicodemus is like, I feel like I'm a smart guy, but that sounds weird. And even Jesus has to go back and say, listen, I know I said you must be warned. Don't get stuck there. Don't stop there. And then he gives him some analogies he can get. What he's telling him is this, you've tried all your life, Nicodemus, to be superior, to be great, to, to see that your privilege has got you something. Lest we forget that Jesus is revolutionizing Nicodemus' birthright entrance into heaven. He is questioning everything that Nicodemus would believe and would have held true and would have taught and would have given to the next generation to teach. He tells him the way to heaven has a place and a name. And it's right through me. It is revolutionary in its nature. It shocks Nicodemus so heavily. 
that he has to ask the question in verse 9, and I love it. How can this be? Explain it. One thing I love about Nicodemus was he asked the right questions. He just didn't know if they were right at the time. I love it because Jesus knew when Nicodemus was coming. Here's this moment. Nicodemus shows up and he goes, okay, Rabbi, here's the deal. Here's all the good stuff about you I know. So tell me what's next. And Jesus immediately launches into, you have to be born again, Nicodemus. You're trying all of your own way, all of your own law, and you don't capture this. Jesus walks Nicodemus through his understanding to the conclusion of Jesus as Messiah. You see, Nicodemus would have been waiting for a Messiah. He was waiting for somebody that would come and rescue his people. But I think the most amazing thing about this moment is this. Had Jesus told Nicodemus that the Gentiles should be born again, Nicodemus would have said, yes, they should be born again. Because then they could be born like us. And Jesus is saying, no, you need to be born like me. I am the way, the truth, and the life is what we hear from Jesus later. And no one comes to the Father except through me. This quandary, this moment of trying to find out, is there too much Jesus in this? It's something we're still left with today. Jesus shows something, that Jesus is the way of salvation for people. You see, the Pharisees believed they were. They believed they were the way of salvation for people. And Jesus is questioning everything Nicodemus believes. John chapter 3 is not just a small moment in history. It's a revolutionary moment in history. It changes everything. Jesus begins to walk Nicodemus through his history. He reminds him of what he does teach every week. And he goes back to a moment in the desert. The people have complained before Moses and Aaron, and they're just always against their leadership. In this one moment, they finally are so fed up. They're like, listen, y'all just wanted us to come out here and die. We lived in a land of milk and honey. Lest they forget they were imprisoned, forced labor. And so God goes, I'm done with this. And he produces probably my greatest nightmare in history. Out in the desert, and then just snakes start coming out of nowhere. It begins to bite people. And they're like, what? Except for Moses and Aaron that are like, wow, this is really bad. God goes, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take a pole and you're going to make a snake and you're going to put on it. And you're going to lift it up. And when you lift this snake up, anybody who looks onto it, will not die. You know what it doesn't say? Won't get bit. Nightmare. And they lift it up and the people look unto it and they live. So in John 3, 16, 14, or John 3, 14, it says this, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. This is both a declaration and a foreshadowing. Nicodemus didn't get this either. 
But neither did the disciples or anybody else in the crowd that the Son of Man had to be lifted up, not only in death, but in life. And all that would be brought unto him would have eternal life. And then he drops the verses of all verses, right? The verse that's at every football game and basketball game on TV. Verse that got put upon Tim Tebow's, you know, under his eyes to block the sun out of his eyes. The same verse that's been mimicked in WWE for years. For God so loved the world. Uh, It's amazing to me at the very beginning of that passage, how crazy that could be, that God could love us. I was watching this show the other day, and this, this guy owns this terrible late 80s, early 90s shop. And uh, they're looking through shirts, and there's a 316 on a shirt. And this gal comes in, and she goes, hey, I, I know what that is. And he goes, what is it? And she goes, oh, it's a verse from the Bible. And he goes, Really? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I know it. And he goes, okay, have it. I mean, do it. And she just goes, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And he goes, huh, that's cool. First time he'd ever heard it. He lives in Georgia. Let's not forget, while we say John 3.16 so quickly, and in King James Version like I do, There's people in Amarillo today that have never heard it. It It's the first time Nicodemus had ever heard it. God, the almighty authority, so loved the world, his mightiest motive, that he gave his only begotten son the greatest gift to whoever the widest welcome believes in him the easiest escape. Should not perish the divine deliverance, but have everlasting life, the priceless possession. God loved us so much, and he loved Nicodemus so much, that he was willing to have an encounter with a sinful man who had set up rules that no one could follow and could encounter his life on a time that he shouldn't have been there with the most holiest man on the planet, Jesus. And he could see grace. Let's not forget, Jesus' other encounters with people like the Pharisees weren't always easy. Brood of vipers, whitewashed tombs. He tells them they travel the world to convert a soul and they make them twice as much a son of hell as they are. Kind of a different moment in John 3, isn't it? But then Jesus keeps going. He says, it didn't come to the world to condemn the world, but through him the world might be saved. And anyone that believes in him is not condemned, but anybody that doesn't believe is already condemned. Which means this today, we have a whole family of people, our neighbors, co-workers, friends at school, living in a lost world, and they are condemned by sin, far from God. They just didn't know it. Ernie Johnson didn't know it. He was a good man. I mean, he cussed out his coworker, but he's a good man by everybody else's standards. Took an encounter with the Lord where he figured out that he had pursued the wrong things and thought he was in control to figure out anything that he can pursue and catch will go away. Anything that he thinks is a treasure will fade. 
It's the way it works in our world. All the things that we hope to obtain tend to fall through our fingertips. I took my kids some years back, um, and we went to the coast. Went down to the ocean, and as we were playing in the ocean, I'd, I'd taken our oldest, Mac, out into the water, and we would watch the waves come in, and I'd lift her up while the waves were high, and when they were down, you could see down below us and see seashells. And if you caught it while I was low, you could scoop it up and capture that shell, but if you saw it here, and the waves came up, and you lifted her up and set her down, it was gone. That is everything that this world has to offer us. It may seem like it has an eternal merit, an eternal framework, but it's just a wave away from being invisible before us. Nicodemus had built whole treasure troves of things in his life. And in this moment in John chapter 3, a wave hit. Never the same again. We see Nicodemus two other times in Scripture. We see him at the council where they're accusing Jesus and he calls for almost Robert's rules of orders, if you will. And we see him once more at the death of Jesus where he helps entomb our Savior. It changes Nicodemus because he learned something that we need to learn today. Without Jesus, we live in the condemnation of sin. Without him, we are destined to die in eternity away from God. And the next is this. Just like you and I, Nicodemus came at night and was exposed or was shown the true light. I want to take you back to the scripture really quickly and we'll be done. Verse 20. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it. I always thought these words are really interesting to say at night. Don't you? Nicodemus came at nighttime in the dark. You can almost see Jesus going, for everyone who does evil, hates the light and avoids it. So that his deeds may not be exposed. Nicodemus had to have gone, oh, he's not talking about me just showing up at night. He's talking to my heart. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. So the question I have to ask you again today is this. What are you pursuing? And who's the provider? Nicodemus had spent his whole life pursuing to be a Pharisee. He had to work at it. He had to be born the right way, under the right teaching, and exhibit the right things. And he had accomplished his task. Wasn't much better than Nicodemus. But then he came to the, finally, to the right provider who shows him and shows us we may be running after the wrong things. So let me ask you the final question of the day. Have you taken time in your life to come to Jesus? Have you taken time in your life where you realize you may not have it all put together like we think? We've accumulated, we've, we've grown in knowledge, we've, we've accumulated you know, people liking us, and, and we really feel good about ourselves, but have you ever taken a time where you've shown yourself right before Jesus and let him speak over your life? It's called reconciliation. It's to bring into alignment. Have you reconciled your life to Jesus? Not, not to our neighbors, not to your pastor, 
but to Jesus himself. What I find in my life is this. Every time I try to align myself to Jesus, I see where I'm missing a mark. And then I repent. I turn from the things I used to do, and I turn to his way. I repent. I think it's an ongoing thing for a life of a Christian to say, Lord, I know I don't have it all put together, but I trust you and want you to speak over my life. Maybe today that's for you. Maybe today you've never even had a moment where you've talked to the Lord. Maybe you're like Ernie Johnson. And today you just need to go, you know what? I'm a prayer away. I think that's where you are. Maybe today you would say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Lord, would you lead my life from here on out? I, re- I repent. I align my life with yours. I don't want to do what I used to do. I want to follow after you. Maybe that's you today and you need a Savior and a Lord in your life. Just welcome to the room. We all do. So if that's you and this is your day, I want to know about it. Here in a minute, we're going to have a time of worship. There'll be a few of us down here. I'm going to invite, as always, our, our deacons and their wives. If they'd like to come and be a help, they can come as well. I'd love to have you guys and you ladies. Maybe you'd like to talk to a lady, and that's why we provide that. Maybe you just, you just don't want to talk to a pastor, and that's okay too. Because I can't save you, and neither can they. Only Jesus. Amen. Just remember this. God loved you so much. He sent Jesus that if you would believe in him, you would not perish but have eternal life. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, Lord, I pray as we go through this unscripted time together, we'd remind ourselves as much as we would like to run our lives, Lord, we need a, we need a God that can do that on our behalf. Lord, thank you for forgiveness. Lord, thank you for your love. God, we pray that you would speak over our lives today, and God, that we would seek you earnestly in this time. God, may may we be humbled like Nicodemus. And Lord, may you expose the darkness in our lives and show us the light. God, we pray for your hand of mercy now. Lord, we pray that you would move in our lives. May you change us forever. Lord, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.